0: Good morning everybody and welcome back to uh another episode of the broker breakdown with myself and James that we come to you every week. And uh I know we took uh a, what about a two week break there James? What was it since our it last like, episode?
1: It was a one week uh just kind of like a recording kind of you know recharge. We've been we've been going hot since before Christmas and stuff. So we just kind of wanted to take a one week break just to kind of recharge and kind of get our um our juices flowing again for some creative um, stuff that we wanted to kind of change up. So we'll probably yeah. see some changes moving forward. Actually the the artwork, I know me and Mike have been working on artwork, some changes on there. So that's actually going to change this episode. So you'll see new artwork. So that's really exciting. Um, yeah. And just some minor things that we just tweet during that one week off, but we're, we're back and we're, we're going into the summertime. So super excited for that.
0: Always, always. And uh, we're we're super pumped today. We got uh, we have a close buddy of mine on the episode, Braden from Subaru of Niagara. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll let you do your own little uh, plug there, Braden, on yourself, and kind of then we can jump into uh, some of the stuff we normally talk about on the podcast. Sounds
2: good. Thank you guys for having me. So my name is Braden Rosal. I am the senior team lead over at Subaru of Niagara. Just a little backstory, I've been doing this for just shy of a decade now, and boy, has the automotive industry changed since the time I started. Um, We had all kinds of industry changes change in the last couple of years, obviously one of them being the pandemic that really affected kind of what was going on in the entire automotive industry. And I'm kind of here today to tell you guys what's going on and what's changed and a little bit of insight as to what's moving forward
0: yeah and we we really appreciate the time we uh we've done a couple episodes with people in uh, in dealerships and obviously different manufacturers and it's it's great to get that viewpoint from the dealership side on you know new technologies, what certain brands are doing and what you guys have noticed even from like buyers' trends because we hear stuff all the time as you know insurance brokers on um you know what's going on from a I guess a client perspective on how it affects insurance and everything else. But then how do we bring it back to the, you know, what's going on from the dealership side and from the real estate side and, and different things. So we love having a different viewpoint to kind of share how insurance reflects back. And and uh, that's, that's one of the reasons we love having people on as guests.
2: Well, it sounds good. I will give you guys as much insight as I possibly can. I mean, one of the best things that we have at Subaru is our insurance ratings. And I'm sure that you guys can uh, fill everybody in on how good our safety ratings are with our vehicles, especially for new drivers, as well as on how much it helps.
1: Well, yeah, I'm looking at an article right now and they actually they're saying that like Subaru has been rated like top five, like, um, like SUVs, I guess, or crossovers probably in the last 20, 25 years. So obviously you guys are doing something right over at Subaru because you guys are always top five, even top three I'm looking at basically every year so.
2: It is kind of, it's you guys have
1: a really, you guys have a really like, um, like passionate like clientele. Like anyone that I know that drives a Subaru says, I will never go to another vehicle now.
2: That's really true, actually. And it's primarily, Subaru actually gets overlooked a lot when you're comparing with a lot of manufacturers because we're kind of that niche market where we're not the mainstream. But once you start comparing us to, say, like Honda or Toyota, or somebody in that mindset, I mean, I know right now I can do leases on cross tracks for the same price as you can buy a base level Honda Civic. Wouldn't you rather sit up higher with all wheel drive? I mean, it, it's kind of a no brainer at that point.
1: Well, I drive a truck. So yeah, I, <laughs> I, I would I don't want to be lower to the ground as any more than I already have to be right. So for me, and like I said, like my I have a fam, really close family member that has like a newer outback, my buddy has an older outback that Again, like they swear by both of them. So and
0: it's, it's funny actually as you guys mentality. say that too. It's funny you guys say that because I got I've had uh I've had my uh my Elantra for the last ten years. The Alantradini? Yeah.
2: <laughs> we're we're and, gonna have a chat about that Elantra soon, Mike.
0: And uh, it sits about I I I didn't realize it ever because you don't really think about where it sits. But you know when I get into the car and sit down, I feel like I'm like maybe six, eight inches off the ground, right? At any point in time, at at my lowest spot, like you're sitting down into the vehicle, right? And so I, I get your point on how it you know, sitting up and and kind of being on, to kind of be able to see the world when you're driving is a uh, is a different place to be in.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. When we got all the snow last year, it was really bad. We had all our customers were sending us videos of their streets completely like plowed in. And the only vehicles getting through the roads were actually the Subaru customers. It was kind of neat to see.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's almost like a commercial in in and of itself.
2: Yeah. No, uh, we posted a whole bunch on our social media pages and everything that weren't even videos we took. They were just videos that were sent to us from our own customers. And it kind of took off on people realizing what you can actually do with just a vehicle that you maybe never thought of.
0: I wanted to uh, quickly... I thought of something right as we were saying it, but the safety rating side and kind of how that affects insurance, then you can you can bring it back to like you know what has done there too. But it's interesting because I've done, you know, a number of different quotes. And one of the big things on insurance policies is every vehicle has a set of what we call rate groups to them. And all these are are basically how the vehicle is looked at by the insurance company. Uh, for different categories for a claim, right? So, like, if there's if there's injuries, if there's payouts to maybe collision damage or fire and theft stuff like that, and it's hard to really say, but I feel like it has somewhat of a difference between what you were saying, you know, Subaru's safety um, within the industry, and then how that kind of correlates. To the fact that, like specific vehicles for even younger drivers, where there's maybe higher potential for claims, they've done a better job of getting those rate groups down on the insurance. And it's not really tied, but we look at that and say, "Wow, you know that vehicle is better than a similar vehicle of a different manufacturer." So, I mean, there's got to be something there behind the scenes. I don't know sure if that's just how Subaru makes its vehicles.
2: Well, it's kind of neat because the older model Subarus, if you looked at them, had. they were very minimal. So you got in the car, there was not a lot of technology. There wasn't much going on. They were just really well put together vehicles that were safe. I would say the last six to eight years, they've really kind of upped their game on fit and finish and quality. But safety has always been number one. And then that fit and finish always came second. Now they've kind of upped the game where safety is always still number one. But now you get all the extras that come in at the same time. So almost every single one of my vehicles has every safety feature imaginable as part of the car as standard. The only features that come a little bit extra are blind spot uh, and rear cross traffic. But again, those are you move up a model now with the new 24 stuff coming in and that has everything. So safety and and being able to have the car react so that the customer or the person driving might not have those quick reflexes so that they don't have an accident is kind of paramount in what we do.
0: Right. And you know what, there's actually an interesting thing that ties into that. So one of the things, so kind of safety ratings and how a vehicle performs in the industry standards, it correlates to the insurance a little bit. But one thing I was just thinking of is that when there is damage to a car, the one interesting thing is that um, when a claim happens, depending on the cost to repair is kind of where some of those insurance uh, evaluations come from, right? And mm-hmm. I think the, the thing that everyone thinks about all the time is what the cost of like a windshield is now on a vehicle versus what it was like even 15 years ago, which is just like that, literally that piece of glass. There was no sensors. There was nothing in it. So you know a couple hundred dollars. It's I literally now. just
1: got mine done on the weekend.
0: <laughs> <Really>? Did you? <laughs>
1: yeah, because mine's been cracked, right? I, I, I got a crack and I'm driving on the QEW, but yeah, for me, I know I have a bigger vehicle because I drive a truck, but still, like mine all in, like labor and everything, $2,200. Right, right.
0: I mean, that's, when you think about what that was, not that it's not warranted, but that's crazy when you think about what it would have been like 20 20 years ago, right?
1: Yeah, literally. Yeah,
2: because glass back then was what? Just a flat piece essentially that would go in. Like look at old Jeeps and things like that. There was no contour to it. It was literally a flat windshield essentially. Yeah. And now when you get into it, You have not only the car, but you also have all the programming that comes into the eyesight systems and everything that's in there as well for you too. So it's not just a windshield anymore. It's calibration. It's making sure all those safety features are now tuned properly. Everything is done the way that it needs to be to protect the customer. So that way when the windshield's done, it still works properly.
1: Yeah, mine had to get calibrated. Like the sensors in it had to all get redone. Like the camera had to get redone everything. So it was like a whole... Like literally, they said it was literally there the whole day. Like they put the glass in; it like cured, I guess they call it. And then, yeah, like they had to do cure. all their they had to do all their calibrations after that. So literally, it was a whole day process, and twenty two hundred dollars later. Yeah, it's uh, it's
2: really crazy on how much that has really changed.
1: But I wanted to kind of make a point actually, because um, I know you, know you were saying earlier that with Subaru being kind of connected with Toyota, um, yeah, we do find that. The Subarus actually do have a little bit of a lower insurance rating. And it's funny because with you guys being connected to Toyota, I find Toyota is actually probably a top three, like highest rated vehicle. And again, no like kind of knock on them whatsoever because they're great vehicles. But like Honda, Toyota, and Hyundai, sorry, Mike, are probably your three top. And it's just funny that you guys are connected to Toyota, but you guys have such a lower rating when it comes to insurance um well, than Toyota are- does.
2: Isn't part of the difference when it comes to that stuff, the amount of vehicles on the road, the, yeah. the theft rate and everything that comes
1: yeah, along with the, them too, right? Yeah, those things obviously impact it as well,
0: 100%. That was one of the big things. I, I mean, growing up, you guys probably can attest to it as well. And this was a common thing kind of known even when I started in the business was that there was the number of Honda Civics on the road was so high that typically it was like almost just a general mindset that people who drove civics would pay more, and it goes yeah. back to what you were just saying is that with a large, large number, you're obviously going to get some rotten apples, some bad claim experiences, some fraud that's happening with those vehicles, and that's just unfortunately part of how it works when you have that many of that vehicle on the road, right so the insurance companies will look at that and say, "Man, we got you know a hundred thousand civics in this." in this city, and I know that's, that's extreme, but let's just use it as a number, you know, versus maybe only, you know, uh, 5,000 Subarus, of course, mm-hmm. there's going to be way less opportunity for that to happen to the Subarus, an 100%, example. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, so it, and that's,
2: that's kind of neat. And when you're comparing, that's why the, when you get all the awards that come out every year, right. And the, I'll use the cross track just because it primarily absolutely dominates that category. When you're seeing all the awards that come out for current and driver and, and everything that's available that cross absolutely crushes the competition for all the awards and then you look at top resale value and everything come across that all plays a huge factor not only into the value that speaks for a subaru but just compared to everything else so if you have a car that's going to hold its value versus cars that don't necessarily always win those awards or, or even a big contender in those what's that say to the insurance companies these things are a little bit more reliable
0: yeah. And I guess there's gotta be something to that too with how Subarus are made and maybe the mindset behind the whole development and and you know what they're valued at because they, I feel like they do hold their value quite well, especially in the used marketplace.
2: Yeah, the the used market is is pretty crazy right now in general, just because of what's going on. Like just to touch on that, we have cars that if you're looking at some pre-owned vehicles, they're selling for more than new cars are right now because you can't get a new car. So the pre-owned car market has absolutely gone through the roof. But the benefit is, is that because our value of our vehicles have always been so high, our customers right now that are in our cars, that are trading them in, are getting top dollar for their vehicle. As long as they can wait for the new car, they're actually pulling out ahead.
0: Right, right. This is this is something we've never, I don't think, seen in in the the marketplaces, the whole backlog of parts and labor and kind of what's going on with the used, which and, and new markets. So if you can't, if you can't wait six, eight months for a new vehicle, which I know a lot of manufacturers have been saying, and we've had this conversation with a couple of dealerships as well, but you're involved in, let's say, like a claim, which is a very common occurrence, and your vehicle's written off, you need to get back to life, right? You can't be in a rental for six months. So you end up having to pick up a used vehicle, right? And I guess that's Probably where some of that used marketplace, um, why they're so expensive would be because of that.
2: Yeah, that's playing a huge factor into what's going on. And I mean, primarily the ones that are are feeling this the most, that are actually being affected the most by this, are the ones that have claims. Because your car that you've been driving and loved for the last five or ten years that had nothing wrong with it, just got completely written off. So what do you have to do? You now have to pay out of pocket for a car because you can't wait for a new one. Right. But on the flip side of that is insurance companies are actually paying more for those write-offs right now.
0: Right. Yes. We've seen that as well. Uh, we obviously, we're not adjusters like we always say on the, on the podcast, but what we do see in some cases is kind of you know what a client might be able to settle with an insurance company on or a kind of what, what that claims check looks like. And I've noticed that as well, right? Is if you go on uh, some of the, the common websites, you know, the Kijijis, the auto traders, these used market kind of companies and websites, you you can look and just see like vehicle of this many kilometers this year. And it's it's staggering, right? That's at what the prices are for these used vehicles right now.
2: It, it's, uh, I'm not an advocate for auto trader, but like I said, I've used them for almost 10 years. They're a huge tool in kind of getting ideas of values and everything for vehicles, but when we price most of our cars here, it goes by market, right? And It's not set by individual dealerships. We go off of what the market dictates for a car to be priced at. Well, even us using that, when you use the auto trader pricing, you look our vehicle up. Nine times out of 10, we are below the market value for what people are asking for the identical car in private sales right now.
0: Right, right.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's very much changed. And I mean... I mean, I think we're going to touch on this in a little bit, but what it comes down to is for as long as I've been in this industry, most manufacturers have always talked and complained about the cost of inventory because the dealerships have to sit on all of these cars. could be anywhere from a hundred to a couple hundred vehicles in their inventory at a time. Well, COVID kind of forced the hand of manufacturers to not have dealerships hold cars anymore because they can't build them fast enough. Right, so dealerships now don't have that massive overhead of all those cars sitting in inventory anymore.
0: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, we've seen that. I've, I've, from talking with a couple of different dealers, including yourself here, obviously multiple times, it seems like that's kind of almost the new model as a result of COVID is when do you need the vehicle? If you want to do a pre-order, this is what you're looking at from a timeline perspective. And it's, it's not that there's going to be nearly as many vehicles, if any, just sitting on the lot ready to ready to buy.
2: Yeah, that was something that manufacturers have been trying to play with for, for quite some time was how do we get the cost of obviously holding all this inventory down, but nobody knew how to kind of make that shift happen. And it wasn't planned, obviously, but the, the byproduct of COVID was, now these dealerships don't have to do that. And it's kind of become the norm that you know, a four to six month waiting period is pretty realistic for what most people
1: are running into now. Crazy. Are are you seeing that people are like kind of getting on board with that? Like, cause I know from the beginning, like people were like, so against waiting five, six, seven, eight months for a vehicle. So are you seeing people kind of starting to warm up to that change where they're like, okay, like, yeah, I, I can wait that long. Or are you still kind of seeing a little bit of like pushback on that timeline?
2: It's, it's kind of twofold on that. I mean, when this all initially happened, 100% people fought it, but there was nothing that they could do because it wasn't like we were holding it back. It was just, this is the product of what's going on right now. So we had a lot of customers talking about, you know, this, it's crazy. We can't wait that long. We need a new car, which again, from our perspective, we totally understood. And we have to try to find pre-owned options to try to help in situations like that. But now that we're two and a half, almost three years into this, it is kind of the norm now. And one of the first questions that we usually get where customers are walking in the dealership is, hey, what's the timeline for a new car? Not why is there no cars here anymore?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I love that point because I was thinking about that. It's funny how trends change with what's going on, right? And, And society as COVID started and for that first year even says, we're used to picking up a vehicle on the lot. I can go on to any dealership and look at one model in ten different colors. I can test drive it, and if I want, it's ready for delivery the next day. Or that's kind of the expectation, right? In some in that world. But you're right. Now it's we know that every dealership's in the same boat. We've had time as clients to adjust to say, "Oh man, like this is that is this is the new landscape." So now our expectations have changed.
2: Absolutely, and that's. The luxury car brands kind of had that from the beginning because there were so many customizable options when you got into like the luxury aspect of things. Most dealerships only had a handful of of physical inventory just to kind of show them off, but everything was in order. So you waited anywhere between two to six months or a year in some luxury cases even to get a car. So now the rest of the world is kind of following suit where, yeah, your four to six months is pretty realistic. If you want Some manufacturers right now that have hybrid models or the upper end hybrid models, you're a year to two years you're waiting.
0: Right. Yeah, that's not surprising. I think that was was one big thing. Remember even with Tesla, right? For the longest time, was that just how it was when you wanted to pre-order a vehicle.
2: Honestly, the only piece of advice that I can give customers right now is that when you're coming in is look for the dealership that is going to give you as much information and transparency as you can possibly get. The whole goal is to put you at ease going... Right now, we might not have exact pricing because we're in 23. It's going to be a 24, but we don't physically have those numbers yet. But make your customers prepared. Right, Go in and say, we're expecting the price is going to go up by $1,500. So let me prejudge that for you. Here's the 23 pricing. We've upped it by $1,500. If it comes in and it's only gone up 1200 then you only pay that. So there's no surprises for the customer because right now in the industry that we're in, That is the biggest kind of, I would say, sore spot with customers is being surprised when they finally get their car. Or unfortunately, we've seen dealerships kind of in bigger cities go, order your car. It takes six months to come in. Customer comes to pick up the car. And now the dealership is placing, you know, pretty good chunk of fees on top of the car that they're mandating. And if the customer doesn't agree to it, then they sell their car out from under them. Right 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 so it's the transparency and just reassuring all these customers that if you come in we are going to take care of you what we talk about is what we talk about we will give you all the information ahead of time and trying to be upfront and give you all the information so that you're as well prepared as possible to wait that four to
1: six months well something you said prior to us recording which i liked was you said sales isn't about selling anymore it's about because anyone can buy a product from anywhere it's about relationships right so that literally harps back to what me and Mike always say on the podcast is like no one comes to big insurance because they like big insurance they come to us because they like myself or they like Mike and for same thing you just said like they don't come to Braden from from Niagara Subaru because like they they might love Subaru but if you're giving all that information being that transparent with all your clients like obviously people are going to take that and be like, oh, this is a way better value add than if I just went down the road to somewhere else and they just basically are like, here are the numbers, either yes or no.
2: Well, and that's that's the biggest thing, right? Everybody's competing right now and there's no, in this market, essentially there's no discounts on cars because there's no cars. Right. So if you can go down the road and buy the exact same car and same price point, same everything, but you fall in love with how I'm going to treat you, wouldn't you rather go where you know you're going to be treated and taken care of?
1: Exactly. And it it goes literally right back to like even three years ago. Like how many times would you watch like TV or like a hockey game or something? And how many like advertisements for like um, cars would you see during like a three hour ball game or hockey game, right? Like there'd be tons. Like every manufacturer was basically pumping out ads for like the new, this month's new, like kind of incentives, right? But nowadays you don't see any of that on television at all.
2: No, and that's they don't need to right now. And no. unfortunately, that's the side effect of again, COVID and what's going on is that people need these cars. Why do they need to spend all this money on advertising and everything when the brands have already built themselves? But what makes those brands stand out right now is how you're going to be treated. Are the customers being informed? Are they, you know, being taken care of? If you have questions, call me. Like when I sell a car right now, I might not talk to that person for four to six months but they know they have open communication. They have my direct cell number. They can call me, they can text me, they can email me at any point in time and I'll give them an update or answer any questions that they have.
0: There's, there's a part to the value proposition of anything, whether it's, you know, cars or the insurance or, or any other industry, that's what does, what does the client value, right? Because you could easily just have the same script for anything you sell and it's only gonna work on the people that value that that quick and easy process versus someone that says like, "Okay, but I had these questions you never answered, and the guy down the street is giving me those answers of right course. so it's if you can't adapt, I mean that's you're only gonna you're only gonna get so many so many sales out of that
2: what what the the main focus is when selling, and this is just something that I've learned over the years and my background is hospitality, so it's all about people is that If you just want a quick sale, that's easy. That is the easiest thing in the world to do. You follow the script. You just look at this. Here's the product. There you go. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. But maintaining your customer relationship and making sure that your customers understand that they can trust you and that they are there for you just as much as I'm going to be there for them is not hard work if you make it standard. That's the way the bar needs to be. And that needs to be the focal point of everything in any sales aspect is If you take care of your customers, the sales will come. But if you're just a number name that somebody can pick through on a call log to call and reach out to, you're going to go nowhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we also, you know, the one thing I wanted to touch base on, just because we want to obviously be respectful of your time here today as well, was I know before, James, we were talking about EV stuff. And we've mentioned that with a couple of different people. I think every episode we've Yeah, it's been a talking
1: point just because of how, like how big of an industry like change that's been recently. Right. So anyone that we've had on from any other manufacturer, that's a big, that's a big question that's come up. So,
0: or at least it's a, it's a, it's just at least a, a conversation starter. Cause we've always, we're interested because the insurance industry is changing with respect to EVs, you know, how they're looked at, what the rates are, um, how it affects even like home insurance for charging stations. There's a lot of different talking points for us, but if you wanted right and whatever, whatever you're um, you know about or are willing to talk about um, and your stance on EVs and how, how Subaru's tackling that.
2: Sure. So funny thing is I'm actually the Subaru of Niagara Solterra specialist. I was one of the people that got to actually go test drive those vehicles in blue mountain and kind of learn directly from Subaru what's going on and how they affect everything. And there's a few kind of contention points about EVs moving forward. Our vehicle is unbelievable. It's about the size of a Forester, but it's very high tech. And that scares a lot of the market because it's a big drastic change in technology from what you're used to. Now, I love EVs. I think they're great. But at the same time, they're limited, obviously, on mileage. So if you're going to go out and do a big long trip, most EVs range anywhere from say three to 400 K is pretty realistic as to what's going on right now. Right. But in Canada, the problem that we're facing is, is that when we hit the cold weather, you lose anywhere between 30 to 40% of your charge because the cold weather and the batteries, that's just how they react. So yes, you might have a 350 kilometer range on our vehicle, but when wintertime hits, that's something that you need to be kind of taught because you can't go the same distances. Now, there is a huge push by 2030 to get a ton of EV vehicles out there and hybrids and everything. However, I think there's a little bit of lack of preparation from, I would say, the country. Because from the standards that we have been kind of told and what we've learned, me doing my own research on the side too, is that the market is not ready for it yet. Because of a lot of old neighborhoods still have the old power grids, right? Well, one EV vehicle is approximately 20, is it 22 or 28 refrigerators running to charge? Right. So you're telling me that you have all these houses and one of the biggest draws in your house is going to be a refrigerator. It always has been besides a furnace or something that's pulling that much energy. So if you have 5 or 6 of these EV vehicles all parked on the same street in an older area, you could easily blow that grid.
0: I don't right? even think I don't even think I thought about that.
2: Well, it's 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 a huge point to talk about it and the other point was is that because of all that extra power drain that's going to be coming through, who so if you are going to be put on say a charging schedule with the city or the street because of the amount of power that it's going to draw, right? Well, say you have 10 people on that street that all have to charge because their batteries are low and they need to go to work the next morning. But the city mandates that only five of you can charge. Who's the five people not going to work tomorrow?
1: Yeah, Mike, have you not seen like the whole thing, like in California, like the rolling brownouts, I guess they call it, and like the mm-hmm. government, like literally said not to charge your electric vehicles like it was like a few i think it was like a month ago or something like that it was either in march or february where like california was like literally like saying to everyone if you have an electric vehicle do not charge them because our electrical grid cannot withstand all the people going on electric vehicles right now it was a massive thing
2: that's what's happening right so there are companies that are talking about putting essentially solar powered chargers inside the roads so as you're driving these vehicles are now essentially an induction charger and they're drawing a charge off of the highways i think there's a company in bc i think that's already looking into it but it's things like that that need to be mainstream in order for all the amount of ev vehicles they're trying to push to be able to be sustainable
0: right and you know that's that's such a funny point that From a stance as a country, right? We can say, you know, EVs are the way of the future, and I'm not—I'm definitely not saying they're not. I think that's—that's we've we've seen that now change a lot in the last couple of years. Um, but it's funny where, because the onus is then on on who to make sure that that infrastructure is taken care of, as well as you know what are the what are the new exposures that are going to happen when everyone starts buying them. Like, and it's going to, you know, you know how things work, right? It takes time. And then it ramps up. And next thing you know, it's every manufacturer has like an EV chain altogether, And then, then it's like, oh, we have the same problems that California is having. Yeah,
1: yeah. everything's interconnected. Like for me, like even for my opinion, I obviously drive a truck. And my biggest issue is, okay, like, can I take this truck from A to B, at least similar to what I would have if I had my gas truck? And two, can I tow as much? And am I, am I not going to lose all this like range because I'm towing a trailer, right? So that's always been my biggest thing until they can come out and say like definitively that they can get to that point, then no problem. I'll jump on, on board. But like we were just saying that there's going to be domino effects to that. Like we already have issues with our infrastructure when it comes to power as it is, can we add all these electric vehicles onto an infrastructure that's already as a lot of, government officials say, are probably 30, 40 years behind where they should already be.
2: I, I think the there's a big misconception about hybrid and EVs right now. Like Subaru vehicles are net zero emissions to begin with, which means they don't put out more than it costs to make them. So it's kind of that we cancel out. But we get a lot of customers, and this is just over all the years, going, I only want EV. I only want EV. I'm going to save on fuel. And you are right to a point the EV vehicle or the hybrid vehicle market right now has a premium to those engines. So say I have a vehicle priced at $45,000 and the hybrid model of that vehicle is going to be priced at $50,000. So it's a $5,000 premium for that engine, right? Which is pretty realistic in our market right now. Right. If that person is, is buying an EV because they're going, I want to save on fuel. I completely understand it, but the average person trades their vehicle in usually between three to five years in order for you to. So the way that this is broken down is really easily in order for buying in a hybrid vehicle, essentially to make sense to you financially, you need to keep your vehicle between five to seven years and drive between 20 to 24,000 kilometers a year. That's just to break even with the fuel savings To pay for the cost of the engine upgrade that you're going to pay for that hybrid vehicle. Mm. Well, if people are trading their vehicles in between three to five years and they bought the hybrid because they wanted to save fuel, they're actually not saving anything. It's still costing them more more. to buy a hybrid.
0: Yep. Right. That's an interesting point too because I I guess, yeah, that's just consumer trends that... Mm. We don't really see, I don't, I, I I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that kind of that fast.
1: Well, Mike, how many times do you get people that call you and they go, I bought this vehicle, but like, they have no idea what's like, they have no idea anything about it. They don't know the insurance rate. They've already committed. They've, they've signed the dotted line and they haven't done any like research on it. Like you gotta have, like, I get those calls probably once a week that like, they just bought this car out of the bloom and like, they have no idea anything about it.
2: So there's a yeah. there's a huge shift from from our side is that as a dealership our job, well, especially here at Subaru uh, of Niagara is that we take care of our customers. We have customer satisfaction ratings across Canada for the last 2 years. Like it's all about our customers and we've gone essentially from just being a sales kind of point of contact to you picking up your new vehicle and servicing your new vehicle or or used vehicle to We know what's going on in the industry. We know where the bank rates are going. We know what's going on. We're seeing a huge shift of customers trying to buy cars on line of credits. But our job now is to not just sell you a car. It's to give you the right information so that you can make the best, well-informed, and educated decision financially about even how to move forward. So like with line of credits and things that they're changing, people go, oh, well, it's a lower payment. I'm paying lower interest. You're right do you know how many people actually make the full allotted payment so they don't end up paying for their car twice over on their line of credit, though? Right, right. If they don't. They do the minimum payments so that it's comfortable. But at the same time, you're now buying two cars just so you can have one.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what? Well, that's interesting because there's, there's a whole... There's an area in car sales for sure because I've heard some of the horror stories where it's like that. It's are you selling the vehicle just for that? Are you truly trying to provide value and be the professional in picking the right option for that person. Because there's there's that whole like greasy car salesman thing, right? That people have had in their heads.
2: Of course. That is a stigma that will always plague this industry. Unfortunately, there are, and there always will be kind of the bad apples of the group. But our job is to make sure that we take care of you. If I don't take care of you, I'm not doing my job. So Buying a car is easy. I have people that come in and say, I want to buy a crosstrack. And then after sitting down and talk to them, oh, they got two kids. Oh, they camp all the time. Oh, they, they do long trips. Cool. Guys, this vehicle is only going to set you for maybe a year or two. Then you're going to have to come in and buy another one. Why don't we just put you in a different one now? Then you don't have to make a change. And they go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So it's all about listening to the customers and hearing what they're telling you. But asking all the questions. Don't just jump into a sale because it's a sale. You're not doing your customers justice by doing that. Stepping back and spending the time and getting to know them and how they're going to use the vehicle is a huge portion of what we do.
1: Do you guys still see a lot of like outdoors people come to you guys? Like, is that the main reason they're they're kind of going to Subaru is for that kind of outdoor experience, or are you kind of seeing again like a market change where Subaru is kind of maybe evolving from that, like also doing the outdoors, but it can also be an everyday vehicle.
2: That's kind of the new program that they've taken with the new Crosstrack. is when we did training on it just a few weeks ago, uh, it was in Toronto and we were literally downtown Toronto because they're marketing the vehicle as this is an everyday car. You don't need to be out in the wilderness. You can do it in, you know, the big city urban kind of areas. So we kind of have the market already on the outdoorsy people. That's what Subaru is. That's what we always have been. But I am seeing more and more people, this is their first car because they want all wheel drive and they can pay the same price as what they did with, say, a Civic or a Corolla or something. Right. But it's now you're seeing a lot of people going from two cars down to one car. Well, do they want something that's going to be able to do what both of those cars did? Of course they did. So it's kind of our market is shifting, but it's just growing
1: are you guys still like obviously competing directly with like the Wrangler and Bronco then like when the Bronco came back, did you guys see a little bit of a shift there where like some clients maybe went that way because of like their big push on how outdoorsy it was or honestly, not really?
2: I would say no on that one. And the reason why I'd say not as much is because when you get into like the Broncos or the big vehicles like that, you're talking to people that that's what they love and they will always love those vehicles. And there's no changing them. But whereas with Subaru, people are coming in going, I want a good vehicle that's great on fuel, that is going to get me from A to B, that's still fun and can support the whole family too. So I kind of want like a whole package deal. Whereas if you're looking at the vehicles that are strictly designed for, this is for out, off-roading or you know, going out in the bush, Subaru's kind of pivoted from that kind of being their main area to... Now this is a family vehicle for everybody. So it, you can still take the whole family and go, but that's not only what it's designed for. Interesting.
0: And I know too, Brayden, that you, got, uh, you actually have a delivery probably any minute now. Um, I do. She's
2: actually, she just walked in downstairs. She's a uh, lovely woman. She's picking up a brand new Outback uh, Limited. So the new Redesign 23 got a bit of a facelift.
0: Right on. So any, I guess, just to get you back on your way as well, any any final thoughts or anything else that you want to plug in uh, for Subaru?
2: Honestly, um, I would just say Subaru Niagara and, and myself and our general manager, Devin, and and all the team here, we are literally all about making sure you as a customer is taken care of. It's very obvious by reading our Google reviews that we will go out of our way to make sure that you, your family, and everybody that you you kind of put in contact with us will be taken care of. But in the same aspect, looking for a new vehicle can be very scary, whether it's new or pre-owned. We are probably the most lighthearted dealership you will ever meet. Our whole goal is to come in, have fun, get you informed as to what you're looking to do, and then from there, just kind of help guide you along those steps. And if you have questions along the way, that's what we're here for. So. Any needs that anybody needs in regards to a Subaru, I'd love to help you out. But uh, anybody on my team here is, is going to do great and take care of you.
1: Well, yeah, we appreciate you uh, you coming on, taking the time. Obviously, super busy, isn't everyone nowadays? So, no, we appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us some uh, some background knowledge that, again, that we're always very curious on. Because, again we obviously deal with cards all the time, but we're obviously not dealing with it as, as in depth as you are. So no, we appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us a little bit more information, especially from the Subaru side.
2: Well, I appreciate both of you guys for, for letting me come on here and chat and you can kind of pick my brain anytime, anytime you guys want a little bit more insight. I'm happy to, uh, to jump back on one of these and, and kind of have another chat.
0: Right on Braden. Thanks again for your time in and we'll, uh, for, any, for all the listeners, we'll obviously have this aired, I think, next week is how it works. James?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go out next Tuesday again. We'll stick to the Tuesdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, YouTube. So we're basically on all streaming platforms. So just like I said, this week, we won't have one, obviously. It was just last yesterday. But again, we'll be back up and running next week with the fresh and updated artwork for it. And like I said, some minor little tweaks here and there. But uh, yeah, just going back to the Tuesdays at 12 p.m. So if you haven't already, make sure you follow and subscribe so you guys aren't missing out on any episodes. And we'll check you guys next week on the Broker Breakdown.